All right. Good morning. Appreciate that song uh, as we reflect on the church and the beauty of it. It's what we're doing here in this class. And uh, we want to um, continue in our study of that. Would you turn to Acts chapter 2 as we start? I want us to get thinking rightly about uh, the church and, and what it's here for. Acts chapter 2. What I want you to notice as we read through this familiar passage is of all the activities in which the early church was engaged, which was the first activity? Um, Alright, so let's read through this section here, verse 42. See this, this church coming together for the first time. It says, "...they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer." Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common and they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I say this is the beginning, really, of the church. Uh, You see this in verse 41, that those who received His Word were baptized, and that day they were added to... that day there were added about 3,000 souls. That idea of adding there is adding to a specific body of believers, the local church. So what is the very first activity? Of all those activities that we read, what was the first one? Verse 42. Okay, they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, first often means and usually means priority. Um, You think about this in the Old Testament way of uh, thinking about how the oldest son had the priority, right? Christ is the first to be resurrected to eternal life, to to His uh, eternal body that is a, a resurrected body. And uh, we will also follow. So there's fir- first has priority there. And, and I think the same thing is true here. Now, why do you suppose that is? Why do you suppose that, that the, devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching takes priority over all of these other things that are listed? Sandra? <laughs> right. So the, what you have is you have all these other things that are important, okay, prayer and the Lord's Supper. You saw breaking the bread there has to do with the Lord's Supper. All those things are governed by our understanding of the truth, the Apostles' teaching. That means that the Apostles' teaching is the foundation by which we will understand rightly all those other things. Okay, we we know this from uh, Ephesians when Paul talks about how the Apostles and Prophets really uh, set the foundation if you think of it, the church like a building, they, they are the foundation and Christ is the cornerstone. Okay, uh, And so everything upon which the church is built must be built on the apostles' teaching. Now turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. 
verse 22. It says, Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers, the flower falls off, but the Word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the Word which was preached to you. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. I want to focus in here on verses 1-3 through and I want you to tell me what is the main commandment there? What is the main commandment there? Verse 1 talks about putting aside. Those are what are known as gerund phrases. Those, those really uh, modify a different phrase. The main phrase, the main verbal phrase. So where is the main verbal phrase? Any ideas? Verses 1 through 3. What is it? Okay, how about let's get the specific words that Peter uses. What, what's the main verbal command there? Okay, good. Long for the pure milk. Verse 2. Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk. Now, in verse 1, he's saying in order to... Uh, in order to grow, you need to remove the hindrances for growth like Pastor Randy Hakama brought up in his uh, Wednesday night summer preaching. You need to remove the hindrances for the growth, but that's not the main command. The main command is to long for the pure milk. Now, what is the pure milk? Okay, the Word of God. The very next phrase tells us that. Long for the pure milk of the Word. And in chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, he had been talking about how the, the Word is central to who we are. And what will the end result be? That is, when we long for the pure milk of the Word of God, what will the result be? Okay, good. Look at the end of verse 2. So that you may grow in respect to salvation. Alright, so, so there's, a clear, uh, there's a clear means or method by which we can and must grow. That that with regard to the local church, their main priority was to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. And, um, and Peter says that it should be our, our great desire to, to do this. So, this week, last week we saw that the church's main purpose was to glorify God by uh, ministering what? What was it? Remember? Right, ministering the truth or ministering the Word of God. So that's your first blank there, I think. So last week, that's what we looked at. But, but now we want to kind of uh, go one step further and see how that happens. That is the education within the local church. Glorify Christ through the ministry of the truth or the ministry of the Word. All right, so that's where we're going today. We want to see how education plays a part in the local church and, and how we're supposed to uh, to do that as a church and how we're supposed to be a part of it. And um, so before we get into that, excuse me, let's, uh, let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we do pray that every part of our worship to You and of our service would be guided by Your Word. We love Your Word because it is... Uh, 
it is our strength. It is our fortress. We know that we can trust it because it comes from You. And we want to love it and desire it more. And we pray that You'd give us help in doing that, to cultivate that desire within our hearts and to remove the hindrances that we have for growth. <coughs> and may You use us as a church to to uh, strengthen each other's faith as well as uh, to show the world around us what it is to follow the truth. And uh, we want to see more people committed to Your truth and following our Savior. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so our main purpose is to glorify Christ by ministering the truth. That's the main job of the church. And this was reinforced on Wednesday night if you were here with Pastor Rob Pfeiffer. Um, He talked about um, the Great Commission there in Matthew 28, saying that the primary objective of the church is to make immature disciples who are becoming more like Jesus Christ. And inside that command, you're familiar with that passage of uh, the Great Commission, that we are supposed to be going to the nations, that go therefore and uh, make disciples of all nations. And then the second part of it was baptizing them. Those converts who come to Christ, uh, we baptize them. And then the third thing is the one that we want to focus on tonight. And what is that? Okay, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what? All that I have commanded you. And then Christ, of course, gives His promise of His presence that I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So, our responsibility as a church is to teach one another all that Christ has commanded us. And, and so, this fits into this idea of, of growing each one of us. That we, We're never at a place where we've arrived spiritually, right? So, we're always at this place where we need to be growing more. Listen to Ephesians 4, 12 and 13, a passage we looked at last week. To prepare God's people for the work of service so that the body of Christ may, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Okay, so, so our job is to, to work along with God's program or in line with God's program so that we are all becoming mature as Christians, that we're becoming more like Christ. Ephesians 2.10 has the same idea. We're familiar with the first part of Ephesians 2 where it talks about how we were dead in our sins, but God, who rich in His mercy, made us alive, and so on. And then, it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. And then the very next verse says, so that. Okay, so the reason that you come to Christ, that you are saved by faith, is so that, anybody know how that goes? The man of God, what? may be thoroughly furnished or equipped for every good work. See, so, so we're not primarily wanting to see people saved, like Pastor Pfeiffer said, not primarily wanting to see people saved just so that they can escape hell. And that's not why we're saved. Paul says this clearly in Ephesians 2.10, but so that we are thoroughly equipped to do every good work. And so our job is to um, to grow in the faith. I, I don't think I have to um, try to convince you of that anymore. 
So we'll examine, examine the following aspects of education in the local church. If growth is necessary, is central to the church, then that means education must be necessary. And so we're going to see the nature of education, the objectives of education, the means, and then its students. All right, so let's first look at the nature of church education or education in the local church. Number one, education in the local church is the first priority. It is the first priority. We saw this in Acts 2, that the very first thing that that was listed among all the activities that the church was involved in was was teaching or, or devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And so, since education must be first, or, or since um, since the the apostles' teaching must be first, then we must educate ourselves as a church with regard to what the scriptures say. Titus chapter two verse one says that you must teach what is he's talking to Titus the pastor there. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. All right, so we have commands, we have patterns, we have uh, clear evidence in Scripture that, that this is what the church is supposed to do. They're supposed to teach. It is supposed to teach. All right. Number two, education in the local church must be Bible-centered. Okay? It didn't just say that, the, that they were devoted to some kind of teaching, specifically to the apostles' teaching. Okay? That is, we understand that to be when you come to First Timothy chapter, or 2 Timothy chapter 3, the apostles' teaching has to do with um, the, all of Scripture, basically. Uh, the New Testament Scripture primarily, but then, of course, you have the Old Testament as well. So we need to commit ourselves to the apostles' teaching. And that means that Bible-centered education involves discipline. Now, when people attend a church, they attend for all sorts of different reasons, don't they? Some attend church to be entertained. Some attend church because they're looking to feel good about themselves for going to church. Some people attend church because they think that that's what's expected of them and they don't want to disappoint God or other people. Okay, These, aren't, these are uh, not the best reasons. The best reason to attend a local church is to be taught to accurately handle the Word of Truth. Um, I don't know what purpose you had, or maybe you didn't think about why you're coming today, but but have you ever had the thought that, you know what, I need to be trained in the Scriptures more. I need to be able to understand the Scriptures more so that I can use it in a way that's, uh, in a way that's uh, helpful for my life and, and my ministry. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So that means that that, that requires discipline on our part. We don't just automatically get trained in the Scriptures. No one ever came to a place where they just kind of slipped into theological stability or uh, where they're able to use practical knowledge from the Scripture just because they didn't really think about it. You, you can't be practical about the Scriptures unless you know the Scriptures. And that requires discipline. And so that means that, that we're going to have to do hard, the hard work that's necessary to learn the Word of God. 
And the opposite of that, that is if we don't, if we passively just expect the Word of God to just wash over us or change us by osmosis somehow, then uh, we, will, we should not be surprised when we are stunted in our spiritual growth. Um, and obviously that has an effect on, on more than just us. It has an effect on the whole church when we, we are stunted in our growth. So we all want to work hard. We have to discipline ourselves. Everything that you had in your life that's been good, you've worked for, right? I mean, it's been something that you had to discipline yourself uh, to do. And, um, and the, the, the Word of God is, is really no different in that way. So Bible-centered education uh, ha, uh, is, must be part of the local church, and it, it involves discipline. It also must be cons- comprehensive. Okay? That means it doesn't just cover certain areas or you know, favorite passages or favorite topics um, and ignore some of the more difficult passages, the ones that, you know what, they just don't seem like they fit. They just don't seem very re- relevant. So we're going to skip over those and go to the exciting ones, the ones that kind of give us little flutters inside. We're going to skip over the, the, the difficult ones, the hard sayings. Um, Bible-centered education should be comprehensive. Acts chapter 20, this is the uh, classic passage that we, that we go to for this. Acts 20, Paul's talking to the future church leaders here and he's talking about how there will be savage wolves who come in in your midst and will destroy you and they will rise up from within you and and he said you know what the 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 charge is for you pastors what your responsibility should be it is to to teach the whole counsel of god he says this is what i did to you i taught you the whole counsel of god i didn't hold anything back i wanted to make sure that you understood all of it so, Bible-centered education is comprehensive. And then thirdly, Bible-centered education is theological in nature. Okay, theological in nature. It's not just about understanding facts or knowing facts. That, that's good. We can't really come to a theological understanding of the Scriptures, okay, a right systematic approach to the Scriptures if we don't know the facts, but it shouldn't be just mere facts. There's a new TV uh, game show that just apparently came out this last week or is coming out here soon called um, The American Bible Challenge. You guys familiar with this? It's on the game show network. And, um, you know, there's been a, a, I've seen a little bit of a stir in the Christian community that this is really a great thing for our country, that we're getting people back to the Bible. And I think in a sense it is better than um, not having the Bible uh, being thought about at all. But I would suggest that if we just have a trivia knowledge of the Scriptures, that is, we can recite facts or be able to, to be able to come up with the right answers to everything, that's not necessarily a theological understanding of Scripture. Okay? Again, we have to have that basis. We do need to understand the facts before we can get to the, to the, to the right systematic approach. Like, okay, we're trying to get into the mind of God. How does God think, at least... As far as he's revealed himself, we can't understand all that he thinks. But but we're tr- not trying to make Bible trivia buffs, right? Instead, we're trying to produce believers in God. People who believe what God has said and understand his plan as best as he has revealed it to us. And, 
and then, then they're following it. That's the type of people we're looking for, not people who can simply recite facts. All right? So, if we have education in the local church, and we should, then it must be centered on the Scriptures. All right? And I, I want to address this other point that I kind of just briefly went over. It is relevant. Okay? When I say... Sometimes when we come to the Scriptures, we say, well, just ignore some of these more difficult passages because they're not relevant for us. And relevant means that it, it doesn't speak to me in, in this 21st century culture in the United States. It doesn't speak to me. Okay, so it's not relevant. But turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Because they want to remind you that all Scripture is relevant. It is profitable. It is necessary. And so we must learn the whole counsel of God. Second Timothy 3. And would someone read verses 16 and 17 for us? All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, all right, verse 17 shows us that idea of spiritual maturity again, like Ephesians 2.10. So that we will be equipped for every good work. Okay, so that's what God is working in us to do. He's trying, he's trying to get us to be equipped for every good work. And the way that He does that, verse 16, is by, is by leaving us with the Scriptures. And what we need to understand is that all Scripture is inspired by God. That it all comes from God and therefore is relevant. It is profitable. Now, in our culture, we tend to um, we tend to cater to people's felt needs. Okay, and what what I mean by that is when a, when you or any other person that comes into the church, you have a specific need in your life. You have a specific maybe problem. Maybe someone, some close relative or friend has died, and you want to come to church so that you can hear that need be addressed. Someone else maybe has come from a broken home and feels unloved. Someone else is struggling with sin. Someone else is having trouble at their job. You know, there's all these different needs that have to be met. And so what what tends to happen in, in a lot of churches is that, that uh, preachers get up there and they try to address those felt needs. And what God is saying here is that He's provided a way to handle all those. Okay, We don't have to come and say, okay, this is going to be, I'm going to try to meet all of your felt needs, but, but rather, that I'm going to give you the Scripture. And you know what? It may not speak to your specific problem that you have today. And perhaps that's happened. Maybe one of the biggest tragedies in your life took place and you walked into church expecting God to speak to you about that specific thing and He didn't. That is, the Word that was presented to you had nothing to do with your specific problem. Does that mean that God doesn't care about your problem? Okay. What that means is God is doing something that's bigger than that. Okay. Not that your problem is unimportant, but, but that God speaks to you where He wants to speak to you. He brings up passages when He wants to bring them up and address needs. And sometimes, I, I say this often, um, 
you know, sometimes it's good to just hear God speak. That is, um, you know, if we only go to the Scriptures in order to take care of our problems and never really look at the rest of it, then we're not really getting involved in the relationship that, that is meant. That is, that God, God wrote down His Word so that you could have a relationship with Him, so that I could have a relationship with Him. And that's what the Christian life is about. It's about a relationship. It's not, God, here's my problem. I'm going to present this before you. God's saying, look at this big, these big issues that are going on all around you. Okay, I'm not unconcerned about your problem, but I want you to show you. I want to show you that life is bigger than what's going on in your life right here. And and the merciful thing about God is that He will address your issue. The Scriptures give us everything that we need for life and godliness. Second Peter chapter one. And so you don't have to fear that God's just going to cast you aside and not be concerned about it you at all. He's obviously a loving Father. I don't want to, I don't want um, I don't want to come across as if He is cold and unconcerned about your problem. Okay, but but what we should understand is that our problem is not all that there is in the world. All right, so education in the church must be Bible centered. Any questions? What we've talked about so far. All right. Let's move on to the objectives. Okay, what's our what's our goal here? What are we trying to accomplish in the education of the Scripture? Okay. And this list is not exhaustive, but we want to address several things that that we seek to do in the education within the local church. Number one, it's designed to produce theological stability. Theological stability. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 4 again. passage we looked at last week. I just want to show you again um, how we avoid theological instability. This passage tells us Chapter 4, verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. How can we avoid theological instability? Being tossed back and forth every time we hear one thing or another. How can we avoid that? The way that it is is found in verse 13. That is that we're all growing into a mature man, a mature person. See that at the end of verse 13? To the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so that means if we want to grow as, or if we want to avoid instability as a church, we need to be mature with regard to our understanding of the Scriptures. And that's why uh, I, I say here, an educated church is a stable church. Okay? Educated church is a stable church. Number two, education in the local church is designed to produce transformed thinking. Transformed thinking. We should not come away every service going, yes, um, uh, I agree with that. I never. I mean, I, I've always thought that. I, and if we've never changed the way that we're thinking, then... That either shows that we are proud, okay, 
um, or that we're, we're not growing anymore. Okay? Uh, now, what I, mean, what I mean by that is I, I don't think that when it comes to our orthodox understanding of the Scripture, we've got to keep changing, you know, to become unorthodox. And obviously, that's not where I'm going with that. But, but even Paul recognized that he needed to continue to grow and continue to, to understand more about the Word of God. That is, improve upon it. Okay, just like a child grows, that they move to the next level of understanding. They they don't ever revert back to when they were children, when they were infants, and they just thought, you know, everything was all fun and good, right? Uh, he's Paul's not suggesting that. I'm not suggesting that when I say we need to change. But what I'm saying is we need to move to the next level. We need to move to the next level of spiritual growth, spiritual understanding. And... Um, Ephesians 4, verse 22. Look, look there with me in your Bibles. That in reference to the, your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of, a truth, of the truth. When a believer is properly taught the Word of God and, and he properly understands it, his thinking will be transformed. And this means that you will be continually refining your worldview to get your worldview in line with God's. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. Someone read that verse, verse 15. Alright. So he who is spiritual, that is a believer, appraises or judges all things. Okay, what Paul's talking about here is having a discriminating worldview. The word judge there or appraise is the same word that could be translated discriminating. Okay? And what he, what he means by that is to have an evaluation or make an evaluation or an assessment of something. In Vacation Bible School this past year, we called it Bible glasses. You put your Bible glasses on. That is, you have a Christian worldview. When you look at the things out in the world, you look at them from a Christian perspective, from a biblical perspective. And here's what Paul's saying. When you evaluate something, when you judge something, appraise something, discriminate something... When you assess something, you should do it from a Christian worldview. That's what the spiritual person does. That they no longer are are looking at things from a naturalistic worldview or a humanistic worldview, that is, from our old manner of life, the way we were born, but we look at things from a scriptural world. How would God view this? And um, And that's part of what teaching does. When we know the Word of God more, when we are soaked in the Scriptures more, we, we look at things the way the Scriptures speak of those things. We look at them with a, a Bible-soaked logic. Okay, I know this is right because... Here's what the Scripture has to say about that. Or I know this is wrong. I know that this would not be pleasing in, God, in God's eyes or that it would grieve the Spirit because this is what the Scriptures say about it. See, if we're missing that element of knowing what the Scriptures say, 
then we can't make a Bible-soaked logical choice about a given issue. And so we have to come to know God's Word. Now, it's good to know the Scriptures as we come to learn it. Um, and then it's good to go and study it when we don't know about a specific issue. Very similar to a child going to school, right? They learn a lot of things that, quite frankly, they don't know why they're learning these things. They don't know how they're going to use this someday. But then as it comes up, it's amazing. You, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about. They, they see something in life and they say, yes, we learned about this. And this is what this means. And, uh, and so that what they're doing is they're now able to use what they've learned on a specific issue that's come up in life. But sometimes they come up to issues in their life. We do as well as Christians. And we don't know how we should think about the situation. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe a, maybe a political issue that popped up and you said, you know, I, I don't really know which side to take on that one. Um, and, uh, and so we have to go back to the Scriptures and study it. And that's a good thing. We, we, we want to see things with the, with the Bible glasses, as we, as we said. All right, so it should transform our thinking. That is, move it to the next level. Not change it back to what it once was, depraved and, and debased, but, but improve it. Change it to the next level. That's what I mean by transformed. And then thirdly, to produce prepared servants of God. Okay, it's not, we're not just learning knowledge for the sake of knowledge. We're not just learning things about theology just so that we can know more about theology, that we could pass a theological quiz or be able to, to answer somebody's question necessarily. But, but it is to equip us. Chapter 4, verse 11 of Ephesians says to equip us, that we're, we're being equipped to do the work of the ministry. And um, that doesn't mean just give us the right physical tools. It also means the right knowledge to be able to do this the right way and with the right heart motive. And that comes through teaching. All right. Any questions on the objectives of teaching? We're trying to produce theological stability and transform thinking and, produce, and uh, prepared servants of God. Any questions or comments on that? Yes, Sandra. Yeah, they they yeah, they would be um yeah, I don't know that there's a priority necessarily. Let me go back to that one. In these she's asking if these happen in order. I think they as we are training one another to understand the scriptures more, these all three things happen. We should be transformed in our thinking, we become more theological theologically stable and we are prepared servants. So yeah, good question. I think they happen coextensively all together. All right, how does this happen? How, how do we make this happen in our church? If our responsibility is to mature believers, right? That's what the Great Commission is to to make disciples. Disciples is the idea of a learner. Okay, how do we do this? And uh, give you several things from the Scripture that tell us. First of all, it's through formal through formal instruction. Formal instruction. Teaching people to be dogmatic about specific issues in the Scripture. Now, we can't be dogmatic about everything because, quite frankly, the Scriptures aren't clear on every single thing and 
we are limited in our understanding. So sometimes we just have to say, you know what, I can't fully understand that. But we should never be non-dogmatic about the basics of the Christian faith, right? We shouldn't be like, you know, I don't know if God is really three in one or I don't know if Jesus was born of a virgin or if He was completely sinless, right? That's blasphemy. So, so we can be dogmatic about the things in which the Scripture is clear. And we live in an age where the society says you can't be dogmatic about anything. Rather, you should be tolerant to all sorts of other beliefs and so on. But in order for us to to come to a place where we are mature, we have to be dogmatic about the the clear things in the Scriptures. And um, so that means that there must be an authoritative presentation of, of biblical truth. An authoritative presentation. Um, God has presented His Word to us and our job is to, to learn it. Okay, so my job is one of a herald. Okay, and you know what a herald is, right? He's a guy who comes out with the scroll and says, thus says the king, right? The herald is just like any of the other commoners. He has a responsibility to follow the orders that are given in the scroll. And that's my job as well. My job is to learn the Scriptures and then teach them to you. So that when I hold them up before you, I'm saying, this is from God. And so my goal as I teach is to show you from the Scriptures where I'm getting what I'm saying. So I'm not just saying things, a bunch of old cliches or, or things that I've uh, learned in my past, but, but I'm trying to show you from the Scriptures so that you can see, okay, this is God speaking here. And I want you to see that this is from God because when you see that it's from God, then your responsibility is one of, must be one of obedience. My responsibility must be one of obedience. Um, you know, we're, we're not trying to get people to follow me. We're not trying to get people to follow any one of us. We're getting, trying to get people to follow Christ. Pastor Piper brought that point up as well. So, are we going to obey, obey the King? So, it should be with the authority of a herald, and then it should be as the church is gathered. This is the pattern. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Formal instruction, the formal presentation of the Word of God happens in gatherings as the church is gathered. Chapter 10, verse 25. Someone read verse 25 for us. Don't give up on meeting together, as the habit of some is, but encourage one another. That it that it happens, there is a formal assembly. That's what uh, the word church means. It is an assembly. It should be the gathering together. So this is when this formal instruction happens. But there's also informal instruction. Informal instruction, that is, we don't stand up in front of a classroom, but there should be informal instruction going on among each one of us. That is, when we're standing out in the hallway... When we're talking to other people throughout the week, contacting them uh, on the phone or through email or something or in person, that is through personal relationships. 
Part of the reason that the local church members are to assemble is so that they can develop those relationships. So that we can spur one another out. Look, verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate or to spur one another to love and good deeds. Each one of our responsibilities is to, to, to see how we can move someone else in the church or many other people in the church to love and good works. Okay, I said earlier, you know, why did you come to church? Were you, were you thinking about transforming your own thinking, getting a deeper understanding of the Scriptures? Here's another reason that you should be coming to church. To help other people grow in their faith and their love for God. Have you ever thought that? My dad used to, uh, the night before, would often ask us, um, and even in his later days when he would he was living with my sisters, he did the same thing. He would say, uh, you know, who is it in the church that you can that you can encourage tomorrow? And just think about someone that you can encourage to love and good works. So it wasn't just like you know, just kind of show up, and if I have, someone asks me for help, then I'll give them help. But rather, it was a proactive thing because he believed these verses very much. And I think we should have these in our minds, too, when we come to the worship services. That is, how can I help someone else? How can I spur them on to love and good works? What is it that they need? They need to be encouraged. They need to be challenged. They need to be prayed for. What do they need? What, what can I do to spur them on to love and good works? And so that happens not through... Okay, I'm standing up in front. Anybody else have any needs? It doesn't happen that way. It happens as people have uh, are, are having interaction with each other uh, outside of the formal gatherings. Okay, so just through personal relationships and then through family relationships. Um, the the pattern in Scripture, even back to Deuteronomy, is that parents should teach their children at home, right? Put it on the doorposts of your house. Talk about it when you sit, when you lie down, when you wake up, when you go to bed. All those things. You should be talking about the things of God. There should be formal, or not formal, but family instruction going on. And that's why I put this church covenant in here. Because one of the things that we covenanted to do when we came together as a church was to, second paragraph there, we, we also engaged to maintain family and personal devotions to religiously educate our children to seek the salvation of our acquaintances and so on. All right. So, informal instruction through personal relationships and through family relationships. And then, uh, so you have that formal, informal instruction. Then also through your own personal study. So there should be growth in your understanding and love for the Scriptures when you meet together. That should be happening through those two types of of means, but it also should be happening through your own personal study. Through your own personal study. We will never come to a place of spiritual maturity, that is, we'll wallow in spiritual infancy as long as we're only being fed by other people. Okay? As long as we're only spoon fed the truth. Now, we should be. We should be gathering together. I'm not suggesting that that's unimportant, but we should be feeding ourselves as well. That's spiritual maturity. And that involves us searching the Scriptures, like the Bereans, daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. 
immature believers were rebuked for this in Hebrews chapter 5, for not knowing enough. Let you, you know, while you should be teachers by now, you're still infants in the faith. You should know all these things enough so that you can teach it to someone else. And, and yet you're still having to learn these things. It's, you're, you're feeding on... He's using milk in a negative term actually here. He says, you, you, you still need milk and not solid food. Peter, that passage we looked at earlier, he was using milk in a positive term as the Word of God, the nourishment that we need. Okay, solid food is for the mature. So, what is what are your what does your personal time with God look like? You spend time learning about the Scriptures on your own. All right, who are the students of church education or education in the local church? Should be all members. Okay, the word disciple means learner. So, again, Peter, First Peter two. Like newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word. All of you desire it, so that by it you may be grow up into salvation. So let me give you um, several points of application with regard to our education in the local church. Number one, believers must faithfully attend. They must be committed to faithful attendance. Again, if we're if we're bouncing back in and out of church from week to week, then we shouldn't be surprised when when we're we're not growing, okay? When we're we're not understanding, loving, we're not knowing what's going on with regard to God's work here in the church, okay? There's a requirement to to faithfully attend. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. If we're committed to following Christ, we can't do this without being a part of a local church. Number two, read the Bible daily. The Bereans did this as a pattern. Okay, we should be make this a part of our lives. If we're in a relationship with a person, we would talk to them. And God expects the same thing. We should listen to Him and talk to Him each day. Believers also must study the Bible regularly. Okay, so this doesn't say, okay, we've got to get out, get all, all of our concordances and all these things, do a deep study every day, but regularly. There should be a regular time where we go through Maybe just a small passage of Scripture or a chapter. Say, I'm going to study this and try to understand this for myself. And then several others here that, that we should do. These aren't musts. These are shoulds. Number one, develop note-taking habits. Okay, So when you come to church, it's good to take notes. Uh, if you're like me, it's more helpful when you write something down. Not because you're necessarily going to go back to that later, but... When you write something down, it reinforces what you're thinking. Number two, develop habits of discussing the truth from God's words with family members and with others. Okay, is church just something that you do quickly and then move on? Or is it something that you think about, mull over, meditate on? You've thought about what, what was being taught. Number three, take advantage of teaching opportunities. Some of you are gifted to teach. And so when teaching opportunities come, take advantage of those help solidify your understanding of the Scriptures even more. Number four, take advantage of additional learning opportunities. Okay, There's lots of opportunities here in our church where we have different classes that pop up, this class, and so on, where you can, you can be under God's teaching even more. So I'd encourage you to do that as well. And then, I don't know if I put this on there. Yep, read biblically sound literature. 
<clears throat> All right. Any questions or comments? Right. Right. Morning. No problem. All right. Let me pray and uh, we'll be dismissed. Thank you, Jonathan. Father, thank you for your grace and thank you for the training that we have received from the various churches from which we have come and even from this church. There have been many people who have been here for years and who have uh, helped support the truth. In this place, thankful for the previous uh, men and women who have given their time and efforts to make sure that the truth was upheld here. We pray that you'd help us to do the same thing so that we would be like Timothy who passes down truth to faithful men who are able to teach others also. We want to know your word more. We want to know you. And uh, so we pray that you'd help us to be faithfully involved in uh, learning from your word as the opportunities approach. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.